Well, if you have your Bible, I invite you to open it to the book of Romans, chapter 8. In a few moments, we'll come to that passage. It's been an eventful couple of weeks here in the Carolina. One way or another, all of us have been affected by the events surrounding Hurricane Florence. And as most of you know, I've felt impressed to preach a message that I've titled Hurricanes and Other Acts of God. You know how insurance companies and uh, media will sometimes refer to a natural disaster as an act of God. I think even some of the insurance policies will include that very language in their in, in, in their documents and so on. And so I know people have questions. And uh, in fact, those of us who love the Lord sometimes have questions. And I thought it would be appropriate to do a Bible study this morning and try to try to answer some of those questions because there's been a lot of tragedy. I mean, early on when that uh, that uh, tree fell on that house, over in the coast of North Carolina, and a mom, a young mother, and her infant sitting on the couch, and they were they were killed, and the the dad was also injured, and then that photograph that made its way across the nation of those first responders, those firemen, and others kneeling in the front yard praying for the family and praying for themselves and the other victims and so on. It was just just very very moving, and there's been a lot of suffering and a lot of damage, um, you know. Forty-some people, their deaths have been attributed in some way or another to uh, the effects of Hurricane Florence. A 77-year-old man going outside to check on his dogs, and the wind blew him over, and he fell, and, and he died. Cars swept off the road by water and, and, and people drowning in their cars. Cars and trucks hydroplaning and, and uh, people being killed as a result of that. A 65-year-old man found in his car underwater, been there for a few days. An 83-year-old man died when his uh, car hit a hole in the road that the, where the water had washed the, the, the road out and he didn't know it and he ran into it and he hit, hit a culvert and he, and he was killed. A 61-year-old woman not far from here died when her car hit a, a tree that had been down by the, by the winds and it was hanging over the road and she ran into it and, and she died. A 23-year-old man whose truck uh, in the water, he lost control and it turned upside down off the side of the road into some deep water and he couldn't get out and he, and he drowned. Uh, one person dying when a building collapsed on them. People dying from carbon monoxide poisoning uh, who were using generators and other, other devices. An older couple who were, who were electrocuted trying to plug some things in and turn them on. People who've died because of uh, heart attacks. And uh, just, just due to all the stress, um, uh, one died of a heart attack. We're trying to help somebody because of the stress. And on and on we could go with all these stories. And the photographs you're seeing on the screen paint a picture not only of the physical damage and devastation caused by Hurricane Florence, which you know wasn't so much for us the winds, it was the rain and the flooding. That photograph of that, that picture, you know, people cleaning up their homes and there's a photograph and that photograph represents so much. And we know there's a lot of suffering. There are people suffering this very, this very uh, uh, morning. Conway, in that part of our state, is, is right now in the worst of it. I heard someone uh, yesterday when they were talking on the news about the government releasing billions of, you know, all the money to, to help North Carolina and South Carolina, 
this person had been out of touch and their response was given a lot more money than it. Didn't understand the, the, the level of devastation. And some of us are touched by it more than others. We, we have people in this room right now who are concerned about friends and family in other parts of our state and North Carolina that they can't get to because the roads are shutting things down. You can't get in and out of Conway or Horry County. The roads are all closed right now. They won't let you in or out as the water crested last night. And uh, we have people there as Baptists and even from our own churches, you know, who are, who are helping. And I, I thought it would be good as we begin to take a moment and pray. And so I've asked Rick Davis. Rick, you know, is, 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 is one of our members and has taught Sunday school and deacon, but he also works with Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham organization. And he, uh, he's been over at the coast helping. And so he could tell you stories, but, uh, and the stories of God working. But Rick's going to lead us in prayer. We want to pray for everybody affected by this storm. Brother Rick. As the storm approached, uh, I prayed this prayer. Be merciful to me, O God. Mm. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for those of us in this room that can say you you saw us through the storm, and uh, some of us had damage, some of us had difficulties. Uh, most didn't, and we thank you for that. But, Father, many did. At the coast, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, even in Virginia, people were, were hit hard, and uh, they're suffering. And, Father, we thank you that even in the midst of the storm, you saved many and brought them to safety. In the days ahead, They'll face difficulties. Father, what the winds didn't hit, the, uh, the rains hit. What the rains didn't get, the floods got. Now, Lord, uh, the possibility of mold, uh, which can devastate someone's possessions in their house. But, Lord, I thank you that there are people that are putting their hope and their trust in Jesus even now to see them through this cal calamity. So, Father, I also thank you for those who are rushing toward the devastation, those who are going there to help, even people from our church and uh, from the South Carolina Baptists that are, that are there to minister to people, not just their physical needs, but their spiritual needs as they're hurting mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Father, thank you for those that are going to remind them that they can trust in the God that will mm -hmm. see them through even this calamity. So, Father, be with all those who are volunteering. We pray that you would send laborers to the harvest uh, mm -hmm. to, to help share the love of Christ, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those that are hurting. And we pray for a great harvest even now spiritually uh, from those who have been affected by the storm. But for the volunteers, Father, be with them. May they travel safely. Uh, may they have an impact that is lasting uh, on those that they touch. And may they return home to their families safely. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother Rick. Some of you know this. Others may not. But Southern Baptists are the third. We have the third largest relief agency in, in America, just behind FEMA and the Red Cross, through our disaster relief ministries in our various state conventions. Some people don't know that. But, it's, I mean, only those two have more people, more, more resources involved than, than Southern Baptists. And we're, as a church, hosting a training for our state convention in disaster relief training on Saturday, October 13th. Information is in your bulletin. And if you'd like to be certified so you can be a volunteer to help, not just now but in the future when various 
uh, occurrences take place in different parts of the country. You have to you have to go through the training. You have to be certified to be able to volunteer in disaster relief ministry. So look at that. Go to the website. The, the, the address is there. Learn about it. Sign up and come. I mean, you'll never have an easier opportunity to be certified to help with disaster relief than this one because it's happening here in our church that Saturday morning, October 13th. So look at that. Check it out. And you can become part of what God is doing to help people around our state and actually throughout the country. Now, with all the suffering, you know what's, what's, what's so encouraging to me, not, not just about the Lord but about people, the human spirit's pretty resilient, isn't it? You know, the way people reach out and help each other and care for each other. Look at that slide. I love that picture. I mean, isn't that just like two teenage boys? I mean, the flood, the water, and they're, they're going to turn it into a skateboard party out on the sidewalk. I love that because that says something about the human, the human spirit. I mean, uh, yeah, life can be hard, but we're resilient. And I, and I really like this next picture, a dad and a son. Because, folks, in the end, all we have is relationships with our family, with other people, brothers and sisters in Christ, and with the Lord. And yet I know we have questions. We have questions. And, and that's why I like this next picture. Because I think it, it, it just catches what we're, we're looking to God. And, and, and there are people who look to God during tragedy. Rick was telling me this morning about um, a woman, I think it was, Rick, uh, over in the coast of North Carolina that had been devastated by, by the hurricane. She accepted Christ through the ministry there this week. People are looking to God. And here's this guy looking at the steeple. And I know, you know, I, I, someone, someone said uh, the other day, I heard them, heard them say we were blessed. And it's been repeated this morning because we didn't get hit as hard here as uh, some had, had, had forecast. But what does the Bible say about these things? I mean, you've heard people say things. You've said things, right? I mean, think in your own mind right now. What, what have you heard people say about, about disasters or when bad things are happening? We, you know, God is in control. What have you heard people say? What have you said? Can you think of something? I want you to turn to the person beside you and, and share with them something you've said or you've heard someone say. Go ahead and do that right now. Something that you hear people say when bad things happen or something. You, go ahead and turn to your neighbor right now. I'm not going to preach until you tell your neighbor something. So what can we learn from God's Word about natural disasters and other bad things that happen? Well, in a minute we're going to look in Romans 8, but on the screen I want to begin by taking you back to the book of Genesis. Today, there's no way in one message I can answer every question every person has. But we can answer some. We can lay a biblical foundation to understand why bad things happen and why natural disasters or quote-unquote acts of God actually occur. You remember God in the book of Genesis created man and woman, Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, said they could have everything here, eat of every tree. God was blessing them in so many ways, but said there's one tree you can't eat from, and if you do, you will, what? Die. And that encompasses more than just physical death, as we'll see. So you'll die. And what did Adam and Eve do? They ate of that forbidden fruit, that forbidden tree. And so you go to Genesis uh, chapter 3. Let's look at the next slide. And God had already spoken to the serpent and, and to, to Eve, to the woman. Now he's speaking to Adam, to the 
to the man. He says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and to the wife. She, he said, you listen to the voice of the serpent, etc. You know, we're, it's, it's amazing how we listen to every voice except God. Right? And when we start listening to voices other than the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? It often gets us in trouble. And, and so he, he says, you've eaten you know, what I told you not to eat. You've disobeyed me and cursed Cursed, cursed is the ground. Now the ground is the planet. It's not just the dirt, it's the universe. It's everything. It's creation. Humanity and all that is a part of creation. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. In other words, life's not going to be easy the way it was before you disobeyed me. Life's going to be hard. There will be easy moments and difficult moments. Good moments and bad moments because of your disobedience, because of your sin. Let's go to the next uh, next verse. Both thorns and thistles, it, the ground, the earth shall grow. In other words, this earth that was pristine is no longer going to be pristine. It's going to be imperfect. And by the sweat of your face, by the sweat of your face, you'll have to produce things, hard work. And when you die... Because now you're going to die, guess what? You're, God, God in the beginning took dirt, fashioned it into a figure, looked like man, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and caused it to be animated, created humanity. And so when you die, what happens? Your body is corruptible. It decays. It goes back to dust. But the spirit, that breath of life, the soul, to God. So that's the, that's the foundation in Genesis. Now, with that in mind, um, I, want us to, I want us to look in Romans. And I'm, I'm not putting the words on the screen because I want you to look at it in your Bible. I want you to do Bible study. This morning is more of a Bible teaching than, than anything. So get your Bible out. And I want you to look. We're going to look at these verses and what they teach us because, listen, one of the, one of the, one of the struggles, one of, the, one of the, the negative things about our modern culture is we like short, quick answers that are often incomplete and either completely or partially inaccurate. If you can't say it in 30 seconds, we don't want to hear it. But life is not that simple. And these kind of questions are not that simple. They're complex. And so get your Bible out because God's Word is the authority for what we as believers believe and how we live. So let's walk through these passages and just do a, do a Bible study this morning. And, and let God teach us some things. Romans chapter 8. Now, Romans is probably the most theological book in the New Testament. And, and when you get to chapter 8, Paul in the beginning of that chapter is, is talking to believers and, he, he, and his focus is on their relationship with Jesus Christ, that we are sons and daughters of God because of our relationship with Jesus. We are secure in that salvation. And he talks about the role of the Holy Spirit in bringing us to salvation and keeping us secure and safe spiritually in Christ. And so he begins with this beautiful verse, verse 1 in chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, listen, if you are in Jesus, and remember we spent a whole month talking about what it means to be in Christ, right? Christ in us, us in Christ, etc., etc., fully forgiven, prepared to meet God on the judgment day, etc. And what he's saying here is right now, this moment, if you are in Jesus, you don't have to worry. Because in Jesus, in this very moment, if you're in Jesus, you are no longer under the judgment of God, no longer under the condemnation of God. What he's saying is, hey, 
Because you're in Christ, your salvation is safe and secure. And so later in this chapter, when he talks about suffering and hardship, one of the points he's making to them is when, when you're in Jesus, even the hardships and the suffering does not change that. Is it, you know, sometimes when bad things happen, what, what does it cause us to do? It causes us to doubt God, but it never causes God to abandon us. And he's laying the foundation here saying you're safe and secure in Jesus both for eternity and for your salvation, your spiritual standing, because you're in Christ. The Holy Spirit put you in Christ, so don't worry about that part of it. So drop down to verse 16. He talks about the Holy Spirit bearing witness within us, within our spirit on the inside of us that we're children of God. Verse 17, if we're children, listen, if you're children of God, if you're in Christ and therefore you're a child of God and the Holy Spirit's living within you, he says you are also heirs of God. So because I'm in Jesus right now, my salvation is secure, but I'm also an heir, meaning that I have some things waiting for me in the future. There's an inheritance in the future that I'm going to receive because I'm an heir of God, because I'm a son of God, a child of God, because I'm in Christ. The present moment is not all there is. And he says fellow heirs with Christ. Interesting. Everything you and I have, everything we're promised is because of our connection with Jesus Christ. And just as there are some things that's waiting for Jesus in the future, guess what? When he receives what's waiting for him in the future, we're going to receive something then as well. Fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Days coming when Jesus is going to be glorified. We've talked about that in recent weeks that at the second coming, every eye will see him and every knee will bow, tongue, confess Jesus is Lord. And in that day, all the glory of eternity and all the glory of the universe will be belong to Jesus. And there'll be no question, no debate, no doubt. And we've said previously, we will what? Share in that. But guess what preceded Jesus' glorification? The cross. The suffering. And there are going to be moments when we experience suffering before we reach that day of nothing but glory. Verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, now think about that verse. He says, the glory that awaits you in the future is so incredible that all of your suffering in the here and now pales in comparison, can't be compared. Now, guys, for some of us, there's a lot of suffering in the here and now. The people who lose everything because of the floodwaters, the people who lose loved ones because of natural disasters, there's a lot of suffering in the here and now. And if the Bible says that the, the intensity and, the, and, and, and the, 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 the greatness of that suffering, he says it can't even be compared to the glory that awaits us as children of God, as heirs of God, then that glory that awaits us in the future has to be incredible because the suffering can be really bad. It just points to how great the glory is going to be. That's the reason the Bible elsewhere says your eye has not seen, your ear has not heard, and your heart has not imagined what God has prepared for those who love him, that what awaits you is so 
fabulous that all the bad stacked on top, stacked on top, stacked on top, stacked on top pales in comparison. Now, y'all help me if I get lost at which verse I was on, okay? So keep up with me. Help me, help me stay on track. Verse 19. By the way, that glory is going to be revealed. It's in the future, second coming of Jesus. Now, let's get into it a little bit here, okay? Verse 19, here we go. He said, for the anxious longing of the creation, the creation is the universe. It's nature. It's this earth. It's our planet. It's our world. And it has anxious longing. What he does is he personifies creation. Have you as a human being ever felt anxious about something? Huh? He's saying on a, on a personal level, he's, he's saying so does nature, the creation. While it waits, it's anxiously longing, looking forward to the day when the sons of God will be revealed in verse 19. In other words, at the second coming of Jesus, and we talked about this last month, at the second coming of Jesus when he's revealed and every eye knows who he is, We've also seen in Scripture what? That, that every true follower of Christ will be evident and everybody will know who you really are even if this life they don't know who you really are. You remember that? And so when Jesus is revealed at the second coming, guess what? All of his children, all of his heirs, all of those who are in Christ will be revealed. There will be no doubt, no questions. And he says in verse 19 that even creation is anxiously longing for, looking forward to that day. Why? Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. What is futility? It's, it's vanity. It's, it's not being able to fulfill your purpose. It's, it's you, you try, but you, you can't. In other words, he says creation isn't able to do today, isn't able to be today what God created it to be and do. God created it one way, but because of man's sin, it, become, it became something else. It was cursed. Thorns and thistles, weeds and sweat. And so creation was subjected to futility at the fall, at the curse, because of humanity's sin. Now, the one who subjected it was God. God's the one who said, cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. Subjected it in hope. See, hope looks to the future. God had a plan. God had something in the future in mind when he cursed the earth, the creation because of humanity's sin. Verse 21 that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, at the second coming, you and I are going to be set free, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment, set free from the consequences of sin in our life, this, this decaying body. But he says, on that day, and, and this is the reason creation is looking forward to that day, is because creation itself will be set free. See, God subjected it to futility. Cursed be the ground. Death became part of creation. Corruption, decay, decline became part of the universe. 
And so God says creation is looking forward to that day because on that day, creation will be set free from that corruption, from that slavery to corruption. And, and the freedom that you and I are going to enjoy at the second coming of, of, of Jesus Christ, so, so is the universe. And, and the Bible talks about a, a new heaven and a new what? A new earth. Verse 22, a very important verse. He said, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Now, the pains of childbirth is the pain that precedes birth, new life. He's personified creation, and now he's using the analogy of a woman giving birth to a child. The second coming, the day of freedom, the, when, when the glory of Jesus is revealed and the sons of, of Christ are revealed, he, he said that day is going to be like new life, new birth. But before that day, there's the pains of childbirth. And he's saying all, all the bad stuff that happens in creation are those pains of childbirth pointing to that new day in the future. When there's a hurricane, the creation is groaning, the pains of childbirth. When there's a flood, an earthquake, a tornado, a mudslide, a mining cave-in, a natural disaster of any type, is creation groaning? Is creation experiencing the pain of childbirth, looking forward to that day in the future? It's, it's, it's the result of the curse of the fall of creation and the fall of man. Because once man became sinful, God could not allow a dying, disobedient, sinful human race to live in a world that was perfect. When man was sinless, the world did not groan. But once man became sinful, God matched the creation as our place of living to us. And at the second coming, when everything changes... The creation changes again to match us on that day. Verse 23, and not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us, He is the one that brings us into the family of God so that we can be children of God. And the salvation we are now enjoying it's just the first. It's just the beginning. It's just the first of what God's going to give us. It's the, there's more. There's more. We ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. When, when our salvation is made complete and this body that is decaying, that is dying, that is weak, that gets sick, is redeemed and resurrected and transformed into a glorified body that can never again be sick or weak or hurt 
or die. But in the meantime, just as creation experiences the groans and the pains of childbirth through natural disaster, our human bodies, because we are sinful and we are fallen, our bodies groan and experience the pains of childbirth. We get sick. We have cancer. We have heart attack. We have bad vision. We are born with various challenges. Why? Because we are in a sinful world. We have a sinful body. It's the result of curse and it's the groaning and it's the pains of childbirth and we're going to have that even as a child of God until the day of redemption and any time let me just chase a rabbit for 30 seconds any time you hear some preacher say that if you just have enough faith you can always be healed it is contrary to the biblical teaching that sometimes even in great faith your body will still groan It's the nature of existence. Now, does God sometimes intervene? Yes. Does God sometimes not intervene? Yes. Why? I don't have all the answers to that and can't address that in this sermon. I'm trying to lay a biblical foundation for why life is the way it is this morning. Verse 24 and 25, he says, we call it hope just because We don't have it yet. It's in the future, and therefore we persevere because we eagerly wait for it. We know it's coming. And I love verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Listen, when your body is groaning with the pains of childbirth through sickness or because of what's going on in nature, natural disasters, quote-unquote, acts of God, and your body is hurting. The truth is, a lot of times our spirit groans as well, and we, we don't even know how to pray. Have you ever felt something so deeply? Have you ever hurt so much that, that it was just hard emotionally to put into words what you were thinking and what you were feeling, and you'd try to pray to God, but you couldn't, you couldn't get the words out? You just had all this stuff churning, churning, churning on the inside. Anybody ever been there? Good news, brothers and sisters, when when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit who lives in you because you are in Christ, He takes all those groanings and all those churnings and He interprets them and intercedes for you. And He takes all that and He makes it a beautiful prayer to the Father. So get on your face before God and groan. It's okay. God hears the groaning. The groaning can be a prayer. And it helps us in those moments of weakness. So take your groaning to God. Don't run from Him. Take it to Him. That's where you'll find healing and strength. Verse 28, a verse that's often misunderstood. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, listen to me. That verse does not say God causes everything to happen that happens. We don't believe the Bible teaches that God causes everything to happen that happens. God's will is not always done. If it was, why did Adam and Eve sin in the first place? God can be disobeyed. God's will can be disobeyed. But because we are in Christ and our security, our salvation, listen, our salvation is secure. We're in Christ and 
Christ is in us and the Holy Spirit is in us and we're groaning, but we know what awaits us out there in the future in this glory. And even when it's hard to pray, we pray anyway because God, the Holy Spirit makes it a prayer and, and we believe and we know that even in the groanings of creation and in the groanings of our own lives and our own human decaying bodies, that God doesn't cause all that to happen. Don't blame God for everything that happens. But in all of it, what that verse says is God takes all these things that happen and he causes them to work together in such a way to bring something good out of it. Don't say it's good. Mm. Not everything is good. And I don't even like to say God has a purpose for everything that happens because God didn't cause everything. But in everything that happens, God's going to bring something good out of it. He has a purpose. His purpose is to bring something good out of it. God didn't cause it to happen to bring something good, but when sin causes something to happen, God can bring something good out of it if we love him and are called according to his purpose. It's just like the story Rick was telling me this morning, the woman who came to faith in Christ. God didn't cause the storm to bring her to faith in Christ, but he worked in her life and in her situation in such a way that in the midst of all that bad created by this fallen sinful world, God brought something good to her. And so chapter 8, he's talking to Christians and he's trying to encourage them. And uh, verse 33, nobody can bring a charge against us. God's the one that justifies us. And, And verse 35, I love verse 35. Who shall separate us? You can say, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, all these things that happen, persecution, famine, Nakedness, peril, sword, some of these things are, are done to us by other humans. Some of these things are, are done to us just by nature, creation, acts of God, quote, unquote. And he said, said because you're in Christ, none of those, none of those, none of those can separate you from Jesus Christ. Verse 38. I'm convinced, he says, that neither death nor life, nothing that happens when you die, nothing that happens while you're alive. And all these other things he mentions at the end of verse 39 is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we started in Genesis. Can we can we finish in Revelation? Because he said on that day, that glorious day, that glorious day, this verse you sometimes hear at funerals, verses 21, chapter 21, verse 4. This is after the second coming, and we're in heaven, and we're experiencing the glory. He gives us a picture of what it's going to be like. He says, and, 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 and he, Jesus, God, will wipe away every tear from our eyes. No longer, no longer be any death, mourning, crying, pain, because the first things, the former things, those old things, the Genesis things, the cursed things, the pains of childbirth in creation, the pains of childbirth and the groaning within our human body, that's all done away with. And then the next chapter, last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, and those opening verses, that chapter is describing heaven as a city. It's this picture of heaven as a city with a river of life and, and the tree of life that was there in the Genesis is, is there. Is it life is life is life. And, and he says there's, there, there will no longer be any what? All the way back to Genesis in the very beginning because now we are glorified and we have a redeemed body and we are no longer affected by sin and suffering's all gone. There's no more groaning and there's no more pain. And, and, and guess what? 
creation matches us. The world matches us. Dedicated man of God, active in his church, his whole adult life, dying. And the pastor goes to see him. And while they're talking, the man begins to cry. And the pastor reaches in his pocket, pulls out a handkerchief, leans over and wipes the man's tears away. And the man says to his preacher, he says, just think about it, pastor. The next, the next time I cry, those tears will be wiped away by Jesus. Child of God, don't, don't lose your hope. Don't blame God for the effects of sin. And sometimes, yeah, we're victims. But the truth is we're all sinners. Even those of us who are saved, we're forgiven, but we're still sinners in this sinful world. And that's not going to change until glory. And so things are going to happen. But you keep your eyes, the Bible says, on that day, on that glory. Because let me ask you, if you don't, if you don't, where are you going to look? If you don't, where are you going to find strength? Where are you going to find help? Where are you going to find purpose and the peace in the midst of a swirling, blowing, hard life? Let Jesus be your comfort. Let's stand. As the musicians come to lead us in singing, the altar is open for you to kneel before God and pray for yourself, for people you know, people you don't know, but people who you know are suffering in the coast. To pray for your walk with God, your, your, your trust in Him and your faith in Him. To, to commit yourself to getting into His Word and letting His Word feed you. Let the Word of God feed you. Don't let the news feed you. Don't let the world feed you. Let God's Word feed you because if you want to be spiritually strong and vibrant and have peace and security, listen to the Lord, not to the words of everyone else. Get on your face and renew your walk with Jesus Christ, whatever your circumstance, and say to him, Lord, no matter what comes, when I understand and when I don't understand, I will walk with you, for you will never abandon me. If you need to give your life to Jesus so you can be at peace with him and not be under his condemnation any longer, be forgiven and saved and be in Christ, you come to Jamie or me here at the front and say, Pastor, I want to give my heart to Christ and be saved today. You want to join First Baptist Church, you come. You come and pray. Let's sing together. You make your decisions right now. Come quickly. Come quickly.